0: And welcome to the Raptors. It's not really the weekly podcast because that's been, it's not on hiatus. I've been doing podcasts. Okay. It's the weekly podcast comes back once the season comes back. Once we have an actual framework to set the weeks within, this is just a, an end of preseason podcast, let's say, and joining me, I think very well may have been, may well be the first Raptors a person I ever had on a podcast and a dear friend and an old friend, Joshua Howe. And you can find some of his beat writing over at Clutch Points, the goats of uh, thumbnails and thumbnail of Jay's artwork. And uh, formerly Raptors Republic, raptors.com, Sportsnet, a bunch of the, the heavy hitters as they're referred to in the industry. And he's here to talk with me today about the very preseason that has just passed. And uh, not to mention,
1: Handsome fella as well, Josh. How you doing, mate? Pretty good. Uh, handsome Bobon is on a—you know—at one point in my life may have been on a Tinder profile. Who knows? Who's to say? You know? But uh, you're also—you were correct about the old friend because I just had my birthday, so I'm now like fifty, and nobody knows it. Um, no one will ever find out. But I am actually just mega old, and on the inside, I'm even older. I'm like 150. So
0: an old soul. Yeah, They're exactly. Twisted yeah. <laughs>
1: and wizened, like an old apple core. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I would like to make some kind of um, connection to Gandalf, but I am not nearly as wise. So like, I cannot do that. But there we go. I have at least one Tolkien reference in already, so I'm off to a good start. I'm sure there'll be more. But okay, so, let's, let's reference the preseason then. First
0: things first, funky looking team. I've taken to calling them a funk fest quite often this year and i imagine i will into the season and beyond and and credit to henry ward uh who is now doing work uh not in the public sector of basketball but funk fest is his term he he brought it into the world but anyway they're a funky team they make a lot of sense for stretches of play and you go holy hell this is working and then everything falls apart and you're like holy hell nothing's working (laughs) what are your thoughts of the preseason
1: Wow yeah I mean there was a lot of that but uh kind of to be expected because it was the preseason like I, I'd go into the preseason I suppose like a lot of people and I'm not really worried about obviously what the Raptors are doing in terms of win loss not really worried about what the points are on the table I'm more just looking at process uh, of individuals um and and a little bit of how the team's going to mesh but obviously the guys who are fighting to make the roster um guys who have you know contracts guaranteeing and and partial guarantees and, and all that stuff um different times and uh. And uh and improvements obviously from the guys who have been on the roster long term. So um yeah, I mean, when the holy hell it's working stuff is going well, it's it's great because you're watching OG and Obi's growth where he's suddenly like a, a really pretty good looking pull-up jump shooter. Where did that come from? I mean, that wasn't there previously. Um, you know, you're looking at uh Scotty Barnes, brand new to the team, and realizing, oh yeah, he's not just like a good playmaker, like he's got the instincts to be a really great playmaker. Um, you know, five plus assists in four of the five games. Yeah, five total games, right? Four of the five total games this preseason. Like, uh, you watch that stuff and you're like, wow, you know, uh, I'm ready to hit the over right now. Bring me the Vegas odds. I'm going to smash that button. Like, I'm I'm totally ready. Uh, And then the other times, it's a lot of like, I found it mostly being uh, defensive issues and young team stuff over eagerness um you know talking about a guy like scotty like that guy wants to do it all man like he he wants to be like guarding guys like 50 feet from the basket like you know he's he's running to save every loose ball like i'm already ready like at some point in this season's on the on a random night in january some guy is just gonna throw hands at scotty because the guy's trying so hard and he's just gonna be like come on man. it's like a tuesday in february i have had enough of this this guy's up in my grill he's been doing it for you know 45 minutes i'm tired of this um and uh and yeah and there's just things like that and and the defense uh i think is one of the more interesting aspects of the team this season in general and so in the preseason um you know they're obviously playing that sort of hyper aggressive style and that's very difficult to pull off um unless you have five guys uh, i think you even mentioned this previously maybe on the podcast but talking about five guys on a string at all times um that's something you have to have to make that kind of defense work when you're playing that uh at specific aggressive style. And yeah, you know, there's been a lot of lapses, uh, partly because some guys just like aren't as good defenders as others. Um some guys are maybe learning this kind of uh system for the first time. Um and you know nurses obviously trying out guys in different spots wanting to see what they can do, wanting to see what they can't do. And um yeah, so it's definitely been a roller coaster of preseason so far. Um but yeah when it looks great, ready to smash that over button. Not so great. Uh, you know, I mean it is what it is, right? There's not really any expectations going into this season.
0: Okay, so a few things. A uh you noting Scotty's never die has no threshold, he will go for everything. Uh, I've mentioned before that uh Raptors courtside tickets will probably have a disclaimer saying Scotty Barnes may end up in your lap. Please pay attention. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. Uh secondly. The Raptors, yeah, uh, five guys on a string. I wish I had made that up. I didn't, but I have used it. And uh, thirdly, one quibble before we dig maybe deeper into, we'll start with Scotty and OG probably. Mm. You, many times in your past writing, have likened players, play styles, teams to types of music. And I'm wondering if anything has come to mind with this Raptors team so far.
1: That's such a good question. And I feel like I feel like I've been asked this before. I think largely because I have, I love to call Kyle Lowry a maestro. I think when he's at his best, when he's at his peak, he is maestro Lowry, um, that we've seen so many times where that's the way he controls the game, like he's conducting a symphony. And it's one of the most beautiful things in basketball I've ever seen. Um, but this specific team, it feels kind of early to have picked a specific movement, but uh, a music piece, but um I will say that sort of the crazy ups and downs and the rush of excitement and, and just the thrill you get from when things are going well and the immaculate vibes that this team offers um, bring to mind uh, the dance macabre uh, music piece from God. What what year was this? I'm going to, I'm going to, I won't remember it. <laughs> I'm going to say the wrong year for sure. So, but a long time ago, but if you get a chance, look up the, um, Orchestral dance macabre, uh it's just that's all there's orchestral music. And it is haunting as it is meant to be, but also like there's that thrill, that rush. Um, but it's not constantly speed, it's not constantly in your face. It's also moments of levity and and lightness and um a little bit of time for introspection. And I think this team, as it wobbles and wavers, there are moments. We in those in those short periods of time and those little bursts where you go, Oh yeah. Okay, there's some things to think about right now, right here. And I can see them and I'm gonna have this in my brain in this instance. But it's about to leave because all of a sudden they're pushing down the brake and now they're they're running it. Precious Achua is pushing the brake because he got a rebound, he's ready to go. Um and, and the music is back on. So if I had to pick one, uh yeah, I think that's what it'd be it'd be the dance machine.
0: Okay. An unconventional answer. This uh harkens back to you saying that your soul perhaps is upwards of 185 years old. Yes, You're, I was uh, there
1: when that song was written, yeah.
0: Yes, uh, precisely. <laughs> so let's, let's stick with the unconventional. Let's discuss the funk fest on the roster. The Achuwas, a guy who, you know, by rights should not handle the ball the way he does, should not be leading the break the way he does at times. Scotty Barnes, who we just kind of touched on how unique and groundbreaking his passing game can be. OG Ananobi has always been categorically offbeat, syncopated like a Danny Brown rap song, you know? (laughs) And uh, Delano Benton, you know? And even like Justin Champagne kind of fits in there because he's really small, but he'll grab 17 rebounds in like at the snap of your fingers. Uh, I believe I called him a Johnny on the spot. This is also an old timey reference since you and I nice. are kindred spirits on this, a Johnny on the spot. So we'll start with Scotty Barnes. From what you thought, if you can remember, it doesn't have to be exactly, but from what you thought at the moment he got drafted to now, has anything materially changed or has he just been delivering on what Joshua Howe
1: deemed the Scotty Barnes experience? Um, so, I mean, I won't like hide it or anything, but I'm a huge draft guy. So, uh, you know, I do my research, uh, for, you know, knowing which pick the Raptors had basically was the impetus for me to do my research. (laughs) And, uh, so I looked at those guys, um, and I looked at Barnes. Um, but a lot of the reading I did was, you know, other people, I didn't have any particular thoughts of my own necessarily watching him from college. I didn't, I didn't spend time just watching Scotty Barnes college games. So. I just knew what scouts had come up with heading into the draft. And, uh, I won't lie. I was a Jalen Suggs guy going into the draft. I think many people were, um, I was at that infamous Raptors Republic party. (laughs) Yeah. Um, man. And it's funny because you might be able to hear me. I don't know if you can or not, because I was right near, uh, was it Zarrar I think who was recording and I was right near him. And, um, I remember saying out loud, as, as soon as they announced, I said, oh, no. And I said it because <laughs> I knew the Raptors fan base was just about to explode. And, of course, everyone around us was going, oh, my God, it's not Jalen Suggs. Of course, they took Scotty Barnes. And, uh, you know, I, and I, and of course, I looked over at Lewis, and he's just stone-faced, like, okay. All right. Um, and that's kind of how I felt, too, because, you know, Scotty Barnes, I knew he had a reputation of a great defender. Um, and I knew he had a reputation as a non-shooter. And I know he had a reputation as a good playmaker. And I know we've kind of already touched on the playmaking, but I think that is the thing that stood up the most is just like, I just can't believe like the instincts there, like the gall he has, like he, <laughs> his vibes are so good, but they carry over into like extreme confidence that is almost like at times J.R. Smith level, <laughs> Where he just like he just like any instance he can get to do some showboating, um, he'll take it. Um, but it's never like I don't know how do you say it? like maybe like aggressive showboating. Mean like he's just mean doing spirited. It. Yeah, and yeah, there's no spirited. malice of forethought. Exactly. There's nothing vicious in it at all. He is just is doing it because he loves the game so much and it's fun. It is just fun for him. And, like, he's making these no-look passes because why the heck not? He can do it. Um, still going to get the two points. And uh, But the fact that he's able to do that, that was the moment I, I fell in love with Scotty Barnes' game, was the moment that I realized, okay, like, this guy's already doing this. Um, you know, he's going to be able to really create for the Raptors in this, in this season, um, depending on the positions he's put in, the spots he's put in. And, you know, how how, uh, the rest of the roster around him and the lineups around him, whatever, shake out. Um, And I'm assuming he's probably going to be in the starting lineup for most of the Raptors season. We'll see what happens when Ziakin comes back. But, yeah. Um, And and defensively, honestly, he's kind of what I thought. uh, Because just everyone was really hyping up his defensive prowess. And he's really good. He's really good. Um, You know, I think he's a bit better maybe as a rover than – directly on on ball he's good on ball but i I just wonder once we get into the regular season um maybe if that's sort of where it shakes out that uh that's his sort of best possession uh, position there is sort of more as a free safety
0: yeah that's most of the scouts well actually every scout i talked to about his defense they brought up that he was more than likely going to be a more affecting defender in a rover type of role that court coverage aspect the length the tenacity, the awareness, the field defensively, all that stuff kind of popping on a possession-by-possession basis. And while with his length and his willingness to defend, he definitely could, you know, they played Gardner-Webb, Florida State. I think their fourth game was against Gardner-Webb. And I can't remember the point guard's name, but that guy isn't an NBA-level athlete. That's who, you know, that's who Scotty was playing 94 feet of defense on. And then Mm -hmm. that trickles into, you know, scouting reports saying he can guard one through five and he'll play, you know, like full court pressure or something like that. Not actually in the NBA, like he's not that dominating in one-on-one defense, but Mm -hmm. he is as advertised as a court coverage guy and Raptors fans should know court coverage guys are worth their weight in gold. I mean, Pascal Siakam, for as much as we love OG Ananobi and the Raptors fan base and the NBA fan base at large, I think, really has a soft spot for OG. Pascal has had stretches of defense where he's been, by miles, the best and most affecting defender on the Raptors. Does that mean he's better than OG currently? I don't think so, because Pascal, it slipped a little bit with all of the usage. But uh, those types of defenders are very, very valuable. And Scotty, I think he, uh, he shows quite well in that regard this is a way we can kind of couch the rest of the guys in the Scotty precious and, uh, and Banton Banton looked a lot better with the Raptors than people expected, as did precious, particularly because of grab and go and transition play. And this was something I wasn't really expecting because I was expecting the Raptors to just be absolutely tragic in the pick and roll this year. And during preseason out of all 30 teams, he had, the Raptors had the least amount of points generated by the pick and roll. I think it was 23.1%. That is really low, the NBA over. Mm-hmm. But I didn't expect them to just move away from it. They're like, oh, hey, the pick and roll, we don't care. Oh, yeah, the number one go-to possession for the NBA at, at yeah. large? Yeah, we don't care. And in doing so, they papered over a lot of the weaknesses inherent in the games of scotty precious and banton and just said get up the court see what happens what have you thought about them really leaning into that style
1: um it's good i mean i think one of the most important things you can do um, as an nba team is not to bend to the popular take of the time essentially right like i think one of the most important things you can do is like you know a team wins a championship and a bunch of teams across the league decide okay we now we got to do this right the warriors win small ball is back right but they have a starting lineup or a death lineup or whatever of four hall of famers this is not easily replicable um you know the spurs post uh duncan era uh i thought everyone talked about how they were a team of the past uh, because they were playing a lot of mid-range game. Um, you know, Demar traded there from the Raptors and pop was like, great. Like he wants to shoot mid range jumpers only. (laughs) That's fine with us. We're cool with that. And everyone just kind of talked about how like, you know, archaic that was, but I thought it's not bad because pop knows that that's what these guys are good at. And he's making the best of what he's got. You know, this isn't the best roster in the NBA, but he knows. DeMar DeRozan likes to shoot mid-range jumpers, and he knows that DeMar DeRozan is good at that, and he understands that personnel, and he's going to make the best of it. And I think Nurse is very good at um, figuring out, for the most part, what specific guys are good at, and you know, making use of them in that way. I mean, there's definitely been nitpicks I've had in the past. I think that every Raptors fan has had in the past. Right, Marcus Alls on the team. I'd like to see him more. Uh, as a playmaker right that's something uh, people have talked about ad nauseum um you know i wonder what that conversation is gonna be like this season with scotty barnes because i think you could put barnes in similar positions already and i think uh more so than marcus hall who can shoot just was very reluctant um he will need to be in some of those positions to be more successful um but yeah i think i think for the most part though he does a good job of finding those positions for guys and he's an unconventional uh, coach, right? He doesn't bend to these trends in the league. And I I think that's a good thing. So even when he gets some things wrong, I like that he experiments, like that he tries some things out, like that he puts guys in positions that maybe they wouldn't otherwise be in. Pick and roll is fine. And they're going to run some of it. And, you know, I'd like to see, for example, um, Fred Van Vliet continue to get reps there because I think he can continue to improve there. Um, he improved quite a bit last season, I thought, in pick and roll as a playmaker as opposed to the season prior. And I think he can continue to do that, especially when he's going to have an increased usage this season. Uh, he's going to be taking on a bigger playmaking role. Um, you know, hopefully that can be offset by the emergence of Scotty as a playmaker and, and OG as a self creator and things like that. But uh, yeah, I, I that's kind of how I feel about it. So I'm looking forward to, you know, guys being put in separate positions that aren't just sort of typical NBA plays and uh, being asked to to succeed there. And hopefully when Siakam returns, um, it'll be the same there as well. Cause I know a lot of guys, uh, a lot of people uh, are, we're a bit tired of seeing some uh, Siakam isolation plays in the past couple of seasons. And uh, I get that too, because I think like most people that Siakam is best on the move. Uh, creating and attacking defenses that way, and could be put into more positions where he would be able to affect defenses that way, um, be more proactive rather than reactive in how he goes about attacking on offense. So, yeah, uh, these are all things to watch. But um, you know, I think that's perfectly fine. They're in a perfectly fine spot in preseason for for what they were doing and and the level to which they were experimenting.
0: Yeah, I think that it, especially with Precious Atua uh, and you bring up you know, Greg Popovich and designing sets or a play style that is, you know, curated specifically for the talent on the roster, not for your higher ideal of the type of basketball you want to play. There is no platonic ideal. There's the guys on your team. I think precious Achiuwa benefits greatly from this because him taking the ball up the grab and go stuff, the mad lad pull-ups that he's breaking out that's been kind of crazy to see, especially given, you know, the types of reps he was getting with the Miami heat virtually, you know, I watched the film. I looked at the numbers. There's no volume to speak of when it comes to precious Achua. And definitely not offensively. He was so limited in that role. And the Raptors were kind of like, we'll see what you can do. Go do it. And he was like, Oh yeah. When I was 11 years old, I didn't like Tim Duncan. I liked Allen Iverson, okay? (laughs) And you're going to see the fruits of that labor now. And I also like that you bring up Scotty Barnes as far as the the Marcus Gasol comp is, I think it's clear as day, Marcus All, Al Horford, those are two guys who the past five years of NBA basketball have been dominant at the elbow and running sets off of them, be it split action, be it simple cuts off of them, 45 cuts from the opposite side, handoff plays. Scotty Barnes, if you give Marcus Saul a handle, if he can dribble, you know, turn the corner. And not saying that Scotty possesses the other intrinsically fantastic aspects of Marcus Saul's game, but the fact that a dribble handoff is now much more dangerous because it can become a keeper play, which has become a lot more mm-hmm. popular in the league lately. Uh, it can be a read action, and Scotty can read the defense and bust them up like some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL running the same play. It's, it's the, the very same. And especially for a guy like Scotty, who has, I would say, phenomenal feel, especially against the moving defense. Uh, it, it gives you the opportunity to allow him to interpret the floor as he sees fit, which has kind of been awesome so far in the preseason. Uh, Delano Banton though, do you have any thoughts about whether you'd like to see him with the big club, or do you just want him to go and get like a million reps down with the 905?
1: Um, I'll I'll just like quote Nurse and say that I'd be good with some traffic. Um, <laughs> either way, I'd like to see him a little bit of 905, a little bit of Saga, a little bit of Raptors. Um, there, he's, he's kind of the uh, microcosm of what we were talking about earlier in terms of the Raptors, like being a dance macabre music piece. Uh, because there are times where it just seems like he can't break down his defender when he really wants to one-on-one. You just can't get by him. And then there are other times where I'm just spending 20 minutes trying to figure out the best words to describe him. Like, is he a breath of wind? Is he a gelatinous form? Is he, what is he, what is he becoming? Because he just somehow slipped through two guys and is at the rim and is insanely long. He looks like Slender, man, from those video games. And it's just, it's just like, wow, I see it. I get it. Um, and then the length is there on defense and I see it and I get it. He's all he's all limbs, just like Scotty, just like OG. Um so yeah, he's he's very he's very interesting in that sense. So I think put him at the nine oh five, be good good for reps. Um, he'll obviously get more usage there, he'll get more time there. Um and uh, the Raptors famously have been very good with developing players at the nine oh five. Um great system down there everybody knows what they're doing and uh i'm sure that he would get the coaching he needs there and um with you know with the parent club obviously uh you get a different experience and you're playing against NBA level guys every single night um you know when he gets the chance even if it's garbage time he's getting out there getting some reps in there a bit different and you get it to be with obviously the uh in the locker room with the guys who are playing on the parent club. So. I think a little bit of this, a little bit of that is always good um, for guys in those positions who are kind of tweeners. Like, I I do feel like he probably is a bit too good for the 905. Uh, Not saying that, like, not too good to go down and just join the team. But in terms of talent, like, I think he would be one of the most talented guys there um, because I think he's impressed me quite a bit in preseason. Um, Definitely think he has a role at the NBA level in the future. Um, But I just think it needs a bit uh, carving out and hashing out and uh, very raw at this point. Uh, So yeah, I I think he's a bit of a tweener and he'll be, he'll be getting some time at both, uh, both ends.
0: Yeah. I, if the Raptors are leaning all the way into this, we get in transition or we die play style, then I think he's definitely should be with the NBA because he's perfect for that. He helps, he helps cause turnovers if there's a three-man action that OG Ananobi, Precious Satua, and any of Delano Banton, Scotty Barnes, Champagny, any of those guys are involved in, they could switch each of their primary positions within the same defensive action and give up nothing. And teams hate that because three-man actions that run along the sideline and stuff like that are the bread and butter of NBA offenses outside of the pick and roll. So if they're gonna lean fully into the funk. Hey, man, uh, Banton fits in perfectly. An amorphous blob of (laughs) loose dribbles and long strides, I would say. But uh, let's move to OG, because OG, I think, uh, is the most interesting aspect of this preseason. Now, I have numbers. I have very intriguing numbers. And I'm sorry, Josh. I'm sorry, listener. You're going to have to wait till Friday morning when my big OG piece comes out, because these are film curated numbers these are not numbers you can find on nba.com backslash stats so I'm going to keep these close to the chest but let me tell you there are some really fun indicators for what's happening with OG Ananovi what were your thoughts after he wrapped up his fourth preseason game and did it on a radically altered shot diet
1: yeah that's that's a heck of a tease um now i'm just now all i want to do is as soon as this podcast is over get you to send me an early version of that because i'm I'm ready to read uh you know i went through and um i i went to nba.com and was disappointed uh to find out that there are preseason stats that they just don't care to put on the website or will be putting on the website later on and of course one of the things i wanted to know was um how OG's pull-up shots had changed uh, because he basically just wasn't pulling up at all. And so I went through manually, as I'm sure you did for like way more stuff, Um, but I wanted to know that specifically. So I went through and watched the games and uh, tracked his pull-up shooting on my own. And yeah, the change is, let's just say drastically better. He's shooting a lot more of them. Again, preseason, whatever, but he's shooting a lot more of them He's shooting them at a higher uh, percentage, better efficiency, um, you know, both from three and from the mid-range. And he's just, like like you said, his shot by, his shot creation, it's all over the place. He's he's doing so many different things, like things I've never seen before. Uh, You mentioned, uh, and a bunch of people have mentioned, that uh, there was a closeout on him. He took a dribble in to his right and pulled up, Mm -hmm. um, which is not something he normally does. I can't even remember the last time I saw OG go to his right in a situation like that, pull up and drain a jumper. And I was like, okay, he's doing things like this now. That's interesting. And then he's also doing things like Harden-esque lulling guys to sleep at the top of the arc, and then just pulling up and shooting jumpers and and nailing them. And that's that's the type of shot also that requires a lot of confidence. You know, to say like, ah, look, guys, I'm going to take some time off the clock here just dribbling. And I am going to nail this shot. I'm going to pull up. You guys know it. Everybody knows it, but I'm going to hit it. And that's a big boy shot um, because you miss too many of those and it starts to become, okay, you know, maybe this isn't your role this season. Still, maybe you need to back off of this a little bit. Maybe somebody else needs to be shooting those shots. Obviously the Raptors need guys to create. So, you know, that also, (laughs) that also factors into it. Um, But yeah. And the increased strength is evident as well. Bullying guys in the paint. getting to the rim, his his uh self control, if that's the right way to put it, with his body seems to be better. Uh he's always had sort of, you know, possessions where he looks like he's in full control and like, wow, he and he's so strong. Like he got to the rim really easily. He should be able to do that a lot. And then two possessions later, he kind of gets into the paint and then sort of loses control of his limbs a bit and just doesn't seem very comfortable and then flails and loses the ball or something. And uh there pretty much hasn't been any of that this preseason. He seems to be finally um You know where he wants to be in terms of control a bit of a tighter dribble uh, as well still a little high in some instances but mostly looking pretty good and so overall i mean just all the different stuff he's doing to get buckets has been the most interesting thing um, beyond just the fact that he's getting them um and even the you know the backing guys down into the post and (laughs) pulling fadeaways you know Kobe-esque if you want to say um shots Siakam was taking as well uh you know hitting some of those two that's interesting as well just yeah just an incredible amount of stuff that I you know we haven't seen from him hardly at all and it's strange because it feels like people have been talking about this OG come out party for a couple seasons but this is the one where I really have felt like he's showing stuff that's more than just flashes now. he's been doing it games on end, and you know you obviously know what he can do at an NBA level already, so it is not crazy, I think, to imagine that he can walk into an NBA game and bring this stuff with him
0: you earlier you mentioned the caveat that it was preseason, and this yeah. is this is something of mine. Why do we have to say that? Everybody knows it's preseason. Yeah. everybody knows that these are indicators. They're not translations. It's not like, okay, well, if OGN and is scoring 27 points per game, or sorry, points per 75 possessions on 50-50-90 splits, remarking yeah. upon that does not mean you are projecting that into the future. I had like a an OGN and tweet that garnered like a lot of attention and people were like, oh yeah, it's just Priesen. It's like, no kidding, dude. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the basketball that's being played right now. Did I say he's Steph Curry now? Or did I just remark upon some, some strong numbers that have come out? And yeah, when you when you had to apply the caveat, I was like, poor Josh.
1: He's in the same position I am where oh. we have to apply caveats where we shouldn't. I know. I, I have fallen, fallen victim to a, a cultural zeitgeist moment. You know what I think it is? I think it's... um, I think there's just this perception that just permeates the entire preseason that it's fake basketball. And so people just like don't go much past that or it's even even if they're thinking about things in terms of like translation and stuff it's still like it's sitting in the back of their mind that they're like this basketball game like basically doesn't exist which well, obviously obviously isn't true right there's also that ideal is kind of
0: pervasive especially for players who don't succeed in the playoffs that not only does preseason basketball become not real but then the regular season basketball <laughs> also becomes not real. How many times, you know, New York fans are going through with Julius Randle currently, but Pascal Siakam was subjected to not only just like incredibly harsh and unfair critiques, but racism, uh, xenophobia, like all that stuff. And at the end of it all, they say, it the playoffs, or we don't care. Devaluing an 82 game season that follows. So. But also, like, I understand why people are like, it's the preseason, you know, not everybody's set up and all that. Totally. But I think we should all walk hand in hand in good faith to say, listen, hey, uh, everybody knows the season hasn't started yet. Okay, there hasn't been a ring ceremony. Everybody chill out. We're talking about the preseason. It's understood. We get it. With that being said, Isaiah Joe had a 90% true shooting. That kicks ass. Jordan Poole looks like CJ McCollum on steroids, that kicks ass. And mm-hmm. most importantly, OG Ananobi, his unassisted and it was unassisted three-pointers and any unassisted, you know, buckets, they're going up to a hundred, dude. This guy's creating way more. And then at the end of it all, I say, yes, it's it's preseason because, <laughs> you know, you and I particularly, and many people who do the work that we do, uh, we are just terrified of being misunderstood. So we're just applying caveats all these different places uh yeah. do you have any other og thoughts i'm basically just trying to hit the quota that i know that emma brown deserves because she's going to listen to this
1: oh i don't i don't know if we'll ever hit that quota because i hit that quota brother i do you, you hit that did she come directly to you and she's like you hit my og quota is that a uh, thing that's happened because i am just like that is the most impressive thing i would have ever heard she's like is relentless in her og adoration
0: here's the thing though i'm the og whisperer (laughs) These huge breakdowns on his game the airtime on the podcast i don't think you find anybody else honestly because the the other people who write as much as me uh they have more strict editors me i make everything about og if i want to it could be og (laughs) world uh if, if you don't have any other og thoughts we can move to to fred
1: no, I, I, the only other thing I would say, I think, just was that I, uh, his playmaking has always been good and underrated. And I think that uh, it's, it stood out a little bit more in, in the preseason just because he was doing the creation stuff. And so when he was getting to defenses moving in different ways and he was able to make some passes just because lanes opened up and stuff like that, I was like, yep, that's going to be kind of the next thing. If, uh, if he is able to do this in a regular season, it just creates more avenues uh, to, to create half-court offense. And so that was pretty cool. I was excited about that.
0: Yeah, excellent note. Okay, this brings up another question. I think about when I think about a player and a skill tree of theirs, let's say, uh, plays show up in my mind. So when you bring up OG Anobi's playmaking, I immediately go to the series against Boston, where he was often being used as a pick and pop guy, and then he was attacking off the bounce against a rotating defense, and he had several extremely impressive assists. So in my brain, when you say OGN and OB playmaking, I see the series against Boston. What is your OGN and OB playmaking brain response?
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, because I was thinking about this preseason, so immediately uh, I was thinking about can't remember which game it was now, but there was a play where he uh, had dribbled up like to the top of the key and. At this point, had already hit a few pull-up jumpers. And so the defense was immediately shifting towards him. And then I believe it was Precious down low. Um, and OG just knew that, his, that his, the help was coming and immediately fired the ball. It wasn't a super difficult pass, but it was, you know, I have proactively affected the defense. They are moving, they're coming. I've already scored a few of these shots. I know I could do it again, but there's my teammate down there. Uh, I know he's about to be wide open and i'm gonna hit him as soon as the help comes and that's when i was like yeah this is stuff like you know we watched sort of evolve with siakam um where there was a lot of like he was always a pretty good reactionary passer but like getting to that next step took a while and then last season he really was getting there um and doing a lot of that um so yeah that's that's kind of how i think about it now but you're right now when i think about like seasons prior I do think more about that sort of like secondary creation where he's coming out of the corner or something off a closeout and then skipping a pass to the opposite corner or something like that. Yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah, completely opposite now, or different, I should say.
0: Excellent, excellent distinction on your part the proactive versus reactive passing. Something, if the listener is interested at all, uh, Evan Zoucha, easy underscore hoops on Twitter, he wrote basically this incredible piece on feel and basketball. And it's kind of going through the, the neuroscientific process of playmaking and, and other types of uh, neuroscientific applications to basketball. And he discusses the difference between reactive and proactive passing. And your, your definition of it fits. He just obviously goes a little bit farther and gives examples and stuff like that. But excellent distinction. OG has been a pretty good read. Like he makes great reads as a reactionary passer. But being proactive, knowing how you're going to change the defense and passing from that point is something reserved for uh, stars typically. So that's something I'm watching for as well. Okay. Uh, Fred, a guy who was, you know, Pascal had an up and down year last year, still ended up as far as the efficiency numbers, scoring numbers, like true shooting and his impact metrics still ended up somewhere kind of close to the same season that he was second team all NBA. Uh, narratives are a bitch. I got to tell you, man, they, they really suck. But uh, it was just the three-pointer that was kind of missing for Pascal. But Fred has a claim to the best player on last year's team. He was quoted as saying, OG's oh, the, like the number one option now. He also was, looked ill-fitting. He was, he was a tough fit next to all these long, lengthy guys, and there wasn't a lot of structure. He's a great player, though, so we don't have to worry about it. But what did you think about anything in preseason? Of course, it's preseason. We know that. But do you uh, do you have any thoughts on Fred's four games? Well, it's only preseason, but no, okay,
1: I'm going to stop saying this. Um, <laughs> uh, by the way, this, this is a quick aside. How often do you think about the fact that Fred VanVleet is the Raptors' points-in-a-game record holder? Is that, is that? like oh, you, think about wow. that no, you? that? Oh wow! No, that doesn't occupy
0: any space in my brain. But now it will. Yeah, that's so crazy, dude.
1: That's nutty. It's just I. Sometimes I think about like this. I go in my head and I'm like thinking about like yeah, these offensive limitations, blah, blah blah. And then I'm like, I saw this guy just go bananas, and like, I know like some of this obviously like that's a game where the guy had incredibly hot shooting but it's also like a lot of those shots were like shots he takes like it's not like he was doing anything where i was like he's never gonna hit this one shot again you know that kind of thing it wasn't the Corey um, brewer 50 point game it wasn't yeah exactly it wasn't the court yeah exactly it wasn't the cory brewer it wasn't the terrence ross 51 um sean Ludley I- is gonna bust through your wall <laughs> that's perfectly fine I was I'm you know I'm still a Terrence Ross believer uh that guy has all the tools oh man anyway um yeah like Fred VanVleet is really good man he's mm-hmm. so good um and yes when perfectly healthy Siakam is the best player on the Raptors for sure um but VanVleet is in that sphere and you know some of it for the, re- part of the reason he's not the best player on the Raptors is unfortunately just his physical stature it's it's bizarre i've, I've stood next to fred bambley like right next to him i did like a one on i did a couple one-on-one interviews with him and like it's it's i'm 6'3 it's it's weird man like seeing an nba player that's shorter than you and you're talking to him and you're just like this guy goes out amongst these enormous men who are standing around behind me and just it, like he, he went into an nba game and scored 54 points <laughs> That's bananas. Um, And it's funny because this preseason, I don't know how you feel about this. I'll be really interested to hear what you have to say on this. But like, I felt like pretty much everything that he showed, uh, I've seen before. There was not too much that really stood out where I was like, oh, here is an extra layer to Fred's game I have not seen. Um, I, I felt like he came out and I was like, he's doing Fred things. Um, I still have questions about him taking on a larger load as a playmaker. Um, You know, I I obviously was impressed very much by what he did last season with an increased role as a playmaker. So I have no reason to believe he cannot continue to grow. Um, He's evidently the leader of the team. He is the voice in the locker room. He's taken on that role and and he, uh, you know, he relishes in it. Like that's his natural personality. and so, you know, his preseason kind of felt like that's who I am now. I'm the leader of this team. I'm that guy. Everybody knows it. This isn't the time where I need to be showing stuff off necessarily on the, on the floor uh, in term, uh, other than just going out getting some reps in and then letting the younger guys go out and play. You know, I'm just getting some guys involved, whatever. Uh, I know what I can do already. I know who I am as a player. And when the regular season comes, I'll be ready on opening night uh, to really go out there and actually Really start playing. He he's the guy who I most felt like this is preseason. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah, this is the time where like Fred is playing like it's preseason. I I do think that we've hit the
0: threshold. I think we've seen the app not of his game in particular, but of his potency as the guy in italics, right? We saw what a Fred Van Vliet-led offense looked like last year, the limitations of it, that isn't something that you want to repeat willingly because the limitations, big, big limitations. Basically, you're not getting anybody to the rim because he doesn't get the defense in rotation and he doesn't get there himself. And when he does get there, he's not particularly, well, he's bad finishing at the rim. Stature is a, a big part of that, as you said, and also a great way to flex your height and the handsome Boban, uh, handsome Bobon moniker that you wear proudly. But here's the thing. That does not mean that Fred Van Vliet is not a demonstratively great player. Like we know his limitations, but we can talk about how he and this is something, you know, I've teased and kind of I've wondered if I would write an article about this, but how there's different types of help side defenders and Fred Van Vliet is completely novel in the NBA in that he isn't a protective help side defender. He's a preventative help side defender because he is one of the best at dig downs. And when we think of players who guard really well at the nail, like Robert Covington and Jason Tatum come to mind, but Fred Van Vliet is a guy who guards exceptionally well at the nail, even given his physical limitations because of how his route efficiency for one to the ball to the guy with it, to the guy who's receiving the pass, playing the weak side zone and splitting the difference, all that stuff. Fantastic. And then those heavy goddamn hands that get a bunch of steals. So not and he's he's like running water, getting around screens, and the lock and trail is awesome. All that plus, and this is something you know, Lewis, you know, teased. He's like, there are advanced metrics that are not publicly available. That highlight Fred VanVleet as one of the better pull-up shooters in the NBA. I believe it, and you know the publicly available stuff on his catch and shoot stuff is really, really positive. So you have a guy who's an All-NBA level defender who also shoots the hell to the ball, and you know you're in a you're in a jam. He can pick and roll for a somewhat average uh, points per possession return. That guy is super valuable. And that guy on a bunch of other teams, if you emulated him and just popped him and he was up for free agency, he'd be making 25 million a year, no doubt. But on the Raptors, he's only making like 19. And you know what? By all accounts, super conscientious, super good man. We all like to cheer for those guys. We all like to cover them. And uh, yeah, so that's my Fred piece. I love
1: the guy. He's fantastic. He's so good. I mean, it's, it's funny because uh, one of the first things I thought when I watched some of the other guys on the team, like OG Barnes, who we've talked about, and, you know, inc- have increased playmaking as to what I thought maybe they would have on, on their role this season was, oh, more opportunity for Fred to play off ball because mm-hmm. he's so good. I mean, like one of the best players I've ever watched off ball, right? Like he just, he knows how to relocate. Um, he's such a fantastic spot up shooter. His shot preparation is immaculate so good he's always ready um he's just constantly moving he knows exactly where to be his instincts are great. uh just just that element of his game is is so good that you just you don't want to limit it um you know by some by necessity and some because he wants to be the lead guard like he is going to have to play on ball he is going to have a higher usage there but as much as you can you want to have plays where fred is spotting up you know you I like the fact that like precious Precious Achua can grab a, a a defensive rebound, push the ball up the floor and Fred's on the wing and he can toss the ball to Fred because most of the time that shot's going down. If there's any space, that shot is going down. So, um, you know, Fred is incredible. Obviously um, I, every time he digs for the ball, I, I feel like a tingle run down my spine because it's just, it's <laughs> like you said, the heavy hands, it's, it's always so well-timed. It's great. You know, I've watched, um Barnes do some of that in the preseason and uh, and he's just not as uh, as good at it yet as Fred is and and it just was a moment where I was like yeah, Fred's really good at that he's, he's gonna get him he's gonna get Barnes to be really good at that too uh I just know they're working together for sure that'll happen but like it's just you you appreciate little things like that a little bit more when you watch someone who's not as refined yet uh try to do it and you're like man at an NBA level like the timing has to be perfect you have to have the strength all that stuff and and fred's got all of that so yeah he's a really great player he's 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 a guy that you could plug onto almost any nba roster and he would immediately make the team better Mm -hmm.
0: i suspect the uh dig down slap and the ball squirts out any one of uh pascal precious scotty grabs it fred ends up at the wing a triple i suspect we will see that a lot this year I, for sure. Uh, okay. Let's do uh, the f- remaining front court, which is Kim Birch. We talked about precious, uh, maybe not enough. So we can squeeze him in All remark right. on him as much as you want, especially, if, you know, in regards to defense, if you so choose, but Kim Birch back in the fold, coming off the bench, playing less minutes than precious Achua, but seemed coming into the season, even with the knowledge of Achua coming in that Birch was going to be the starter myself. I, you know, on my Twitter, I was uh, confounded by people who were uh, equating Birch's uh, impact to Rashawn Holmes. Anybody, (laughs) anybody who knows me knows I have a very soft spot for Rashawn Holmes. He is tied through minute basketball to the most exciting event I've ever been a party to, but here's the thing. Some people, and Lewis, you know, he laid it out in his own way when we did that podcast, a Birch optimist. What do you think of the center position for the Raptors, especially prior to Siakam coming back?
1: Uh, how dare people come for Rashawn Holmes and, uh, and Sam <laughs> Folk's own Twitter and his own Twitter timeline. <laughs> um, man. Uh, Cambridge, i obviously, so he didn't get to play much in preseason because of the COVID thing, which, which sucks, but very happy, obviously that uh, he and his family are doing well. So that's very good to hear, um, on the floor, uh, you know, he's kind of, I, I thought still similar to the stuff I had seen prior. Again, not all, not nothing in particular really stuck out as like, well, he's definitely like improved this, but again, very limited time seeing him. Um, I do like that there were a couple instances where he was in the corner and the ball got fired out to him, and he was able to hit a three. Um, you know, that's that's just something that's going to be inherently useful if he is able to actually do that on any sort of consistent basis. Um, it'll help him fit into lineups better. Uh, it'll, it'll help space the floor better. All that stuff. So that's great. Um, I do think I was I, I, this was something I'd also read about somewhere as well. I know other people were talking about, but uh, the Raptors are. I think also by necessity gonna to have to play more zone this season offensively because the aggro style they play uh the rest of the time is it's just gonna necessitate that we gotta switch this up at some points because it's just gonna to be too much. It's gonna be hard, uh, and it's it's gonna fall apart, I think, at times a fair bit, especially depending on the unit that's on the floor. If I so, could interrupt quickly, yeah I actually yeah, cool. think they're going to emulate and steal
0: uh Miami's inverted. Miami. Zone. I, I, oh, okay. I really do think they will. The inverted zone where the like it'll be Fred Van Vliet and one of Drogic or Gary Trent Jr. Yeah. low, and you'll put Scotty Barnes, Precious Achua perhaps, or Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, whoever, you'll put those guys up top. And that's the, the inverted zone that the, the Heat run to great effect as well. And you're taking some of that uh, institutional knowledge with Precious and with Drogic as well. I... I think I could see them doing that, especially since they're such a wing-heavy team, and Bam Adebayo is just a glorified wing who happens to be exceptional at the center position, for example. So I think they could yeah. steal some of that.
1: Yeah, I think so, especially considering like the bigs on the Raptors. Uh, one of the nice things about them too is that they're very mobile. Um, you know, and that's one of the most thing, like, exciting things about uh, Precious. I thought like uh, touching on him throughout the regular or the preseason was <laughs> just the The fact that pretty much every time he got switched onto the perimeter, uh, I was never like, he's getting abused right now by whatever guard. Like, he held his own almost all the time, just as well as he did inside the paint, uh, which he did, I thought, pretty well as well over the course of the uh, uh, preseason, which was pretty exciting. Um, Like, you know, he matched up with Joel Embiid, and Joel Embiid scored a lot on him, but, like, his defense was pretty good. Embiid's just also (laughs) really, really good. Um, There were a lot of instances where, you know, Strength-wise, Embiid was bigger, he was stronger. Like, you know, not, not a lot of guys are like Embiid that way. Um, you know, he, he was hit, hit some follow away jumpers, precious right in his face, that type of thing. But I was impressed by that because, um, you know, that's, that's an, uh, the side of the ball where I think he can be most effective right away. Uh, the offensive stuff was, was extra, I think, and I was, you know, also impressed by that. He was able to hit some stuff on the move. I liked that he was given the freedom to take the ball and run because I think he has a really great handle for a big man. Um, but yeah, and so just uh, returning to the zone thing real quick, it's just that I think like, Ken Burch is probably going to be better in defenses like that. That's, uh, and, and partly because he is also a, a mobile big and and uh, would fit better um, in, in those sorts of defensive schemes than probably uh, doing the regular uh, super aggro style for most of the time, uh, especially I think, depending on the units they're playing against. So yeah so uh that's kind of where I stand on birch and then yeah precious uh really excited with both the defense and the offense um yeah I, I really liked when he was able to pull up into into some shots uh on the move and and hit some hit some jumpers that way uh thats stuff I haven't seen too much from him and definitely not consistently, and again, these are things like. You you wish every single guy that shows stuff in preseason is gonna carry that over for the entire season. You know they won't. You don't know who it's gonna be. Um I I won't say that like I have the most confidence that Pressus Ajua is gonna be that guy to carry on that stuff because again, we didn't see a lot of volume of it. It was just occasionally here and there. And you're like, oh, okay. He's popping out or he he ran down the court semi-transition and he pulled up uh in the mid-range and he hit a jumper. And it's like, all right, so he's capable, but how frequently can he actually do that um, on a like efficiency that actually matters? Uh, so, yeah, uh, those are kind of my thoughts on those two guys, I guess.
0: Yeah. And the most important thing, particularly with Precious and Birch, if you translate what they did in the preseason to the regular season, uh, Precious shooting is much more dangerous because it was, uh, there's more volume and it's a lot more radical. And Caitlin Cooper, who is just, she's so good at what she does. Like when I watch a basketball game and since I started doing bouncing around with Evan and we do Uh like set breakdowns and stuff like that, Uh I work really hard to try and (laughs) in my game of the week, I work really hard to try and identify sets and keep up Uh with what's going on there because Evan is a really high quality coach. He picks that stuff up in his sleep. Uh And when I'm watching for sets, I have to watch for sets and then I have to watch again for other takeaways because. That's that's basketball. There's a lot of stuff going on. Caitlin Cooper's ability to digest the game and then just kind of out it comes with knowledge of what lineups are working, um, singular things players are doing, and then exactly what sets are being run. I don't really get it, but she is she's a basketball savant. Anyway, she wrote a fantastic piece for the 538, which you know. Uh, extremely good friend of the podcast of the show, Lewis Asman also writes there, but it was about how shooting percentages don't dictate spacing. Reputation yeah. does. And what, they, what their shot looks like actually does. It's just a, a fantastic landmark piece. It's worth a read. But Precious looks like a radical shooter who would generate, you know, if he pump fakes, a guy might get out there. Kim Birch is still very conservative and stationary, so that's really interesting. I I can't wait to see what comes of that. So here's the part that I'm mostly going to stay out of because my comments on Gary Trent Jr. on this podcast, at I've put them out there. Okay, everybody knows I've belabored the point, but and not to my chagrin, but there is a a sexy contrarian take out there that I've seen popular writers take. And just, you know, random, eh, run-of-the-mill, every guy watching basketball, putting his thoughts out on the internet, the Svi Mikhailak versus Gary Trent Jr. There are people who get paid a decent wage to write about basketball <laughs> that have suggested that Svi is better than Gary Trent Jr. One is going to make, I think, $16.5 million. One is going to make the minimum. Does it matter what they make? No. I hope every NBA player makes as much money as possible all the time. Good, but it does create a strange thing where Sphi he popped off, man. He had a hell of a preseason, and Gary Trent Jr. looked like the guy that we knew he was, which is a very, very good shooter. Do Do you have any thoughts on the on the uh, not a, di- a dichotomy? Would that be an improper use of that uh, term? Absolutely, it would. On on the whole yeah. situation, do you have any thoughts?
1: <laughs> uh, well, two quick things. First of all, um, t- I mean, look, if is gonna go out there and hit two reverse clutch dunks, I mean, pfft, he's shooting up the rankings, man. Uh, he's you know he's the new best thing since sliced bread. And then, two, the biggest lie that Caitlin Cooper ever told was she was on a podcast with me like two seasons ago, and she said that as she was talking about the Indiana Pacers that. I would know more about the Raptors in a particular sense, relating to a play, than she would, and that was the biggest lie she ever told. Because she could watch one (laughs) Raptors game and she would know more about the entirety of the Toronto Raptors than I.
0: And she did, by the way. She had that whole series last year called "The Indiana Raptors," where she knew all of the Raptors set plays and was comparing them
1: to what Nate uh, ran in Indiana. It's absurd. Exactly. So, point being, Kaylin Cooper is also an extremely nice human being. (laughs) Yeah. Uh so yeah, as relating to uh, Trent um and Sphi, uh Sfee, yeah, had a great uh preseason. Um really impressed. Uh he can shoot, um his playmaking better than I thought it was. Couldn't put the ball on the floor, can make some things happen, interesting that way. Um, you know, can he be a rotation guy? Yeah, I think so, right? For for a team like the Raptors, especially where they need things like shooting, but they need things like some playmaking. Um, yeah, I mean, he can be a rotation player. Trent Jr. has a bigger role on the team. Uh, he just does. And he's also being paid to have a bigger role. Like you said, paid, it doesn't matter. But it also does in terms of there's going to be, it, it influences decision-making whether Power it should or shouldn't. Totally. It, it does, yeah, right. And, um, you know, it influences how players think as well uh you know maybe not every player thinks about it the same or whatever but like that stuff matters right we've even had siakam kind of talk about you know the thing with like oh he's likes kyle lowry right there was not animosity there but the idea that he was given a max contract he's kind of trying to figure out now how to be the max guy whatever that's the thing he's thinking about so players think about this stuff too um so gary Trent jr knows that the raptors gave him a contract and and some of that uh contract the, the idea behind it is that he is young and he's going to continue to grow um, he's going to continue to get better and you know as he as is right now he is a, a useful player in certain in a certain uh, in a certain way in terms of he can create shots um, not a lot of their players on the Raptors can create shots but I actually think his best role on this team which is why I've come around to it. Initially, I thought Goran Dragic should be the starter next to Fred Van Vliet uh, in the backcourt. And now I think it should be Trent um, because I think his best role on this team is as uh, a finisher. So, you know, he is a very good shooter. Uh, in the preseason, I was impressed with, uh, you know, his, his uh, headiness to cut. Uh, he cut quite a bit uh, quite a bit of the time. Scotty found him. Uh, a few times for uh, some some nice layups. Um, you know, one of the things about Trent is he doesn't put a lot of pressure on the rim. That's why he shoots so much. It's hard for him to get there. So, uh, one of the ways he can get there is by cutting into space. Um, you know, if guys leave him, then he's a good shooter. If they're uptight on him, then he can blow by them and try to get a good basket that way. Um, you know, somebody passes him the ball, there's a closeout. He's a guy who can definitely take a step in and nail a jumper. I think he will be at his best as that guy, as a, as a finisher uh, in the starting rotation. And that's where I will have him. So inherently, yeah, he's going to have a bigger role in the Raptors than he will. Um, do I think like there's still a lot of flaws in his game? Yeah. Like, he's, is he a very good defensive player right now? Not really. Um, he tries. And because of that, he does a lot of like kind of sporadic things where like, all of a sudden he'll have three steals. And if someone just looks at the box score, they're like, yeah, Gary Trent Jr., solid defensive player. He had three steals tonight. And it's like, yeah, some of that was him just kind of flailing around and, and being in the right spot at the right time and stuff. But, you know, he still tends to get stuck on screens a lot. Sometimes, uh, you know, guys have back cuts on him, things like that. And uh, so he's got some work to do on that end, but obviously not a lost cause, just, you know, has some work to do there. And I think his reputation coming out of Portland, where they play, Different style of defense than the current Toronto Raptors. Um, was that he was a quite a good defender, and I think, uh, you know, it, it just being put into this system, he is not a very good defender right now. But I think he has a lot of opportunity to grow there. Um, and then again on the offensive end, maybe you have a bit of concern about him being a bit of a ball stopper. He gets the ball, he wants to shoot it, he knows he can score. You know, how, 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 uh, how easily can you turn him into the guy that's, that says, okay, uh, you know, I will be the guy at the end of a lot of possessions who's taking the shot, but not always, and I need to also, in some instances, keep the ball moving um, and, and, and try to keep the offense working that way. So I think those are kind of the areas where you're going to be looking at him hoping to improve and uh, mesh with the current team and uh the instances where he will be super useful and um yeah as it pertains to speed again just hey you know what great preseason if he uh makes the raptors roster it'll be kind of the end of the bench type of thing
0: well reasoned takes absolutely defensively he tied together quite a few home run plays over especially the last few uh preseason games defensively uh the drawbacks i think you highlighted them He was like the inverse of Pascal Siakam in that Pascal had a bubble stint that severely undercuts a a massive body of work. And Gary Tran Jr. uh, had some really, really strong isolation defense stretches in the bubble and also happened to be shooting for like a seven-game stretch, like 66% from three-point land on like eight attempts a game. So everybody, you had the layoff of four months. Uh, The only thing that happened in between that was I think you and I did a podcast, but nothing else happened in the (laughs) world. And then suddenly Gary Trent Jr. Comes back. The Blazers are the boutique team trying to get into the, uh, the playoffs fire the play in. And there's this guy, handsome fella, who's just stroking it. And that stuck with him for a while. But uh, yeah, I think that was, uh, you and I are in the same spot with Gary Trent Jr. If Goran Dragic is still as much a guy as i'm optimistic that he is then Mm -hmm. i think i would still put him in the starting lineup just because i think it's going to be so helpful to the rest of the guys in the starting lineup Mm -hmm. although goran dragic has been hanging out on the bench and then joining the starting lineup for like two years now on the heat because the heat they do that thing and then when it's time to win games they're like all right goran start the game we need you now like do your thing (laughs) And uh, even though last year was a bit of a down year for him that that still applied. Uh, but yeah, Gary Trent Jr. I see the logic, especially if you're trying to maximize Gary Trent, that you place him among other top tier guys, particularly mm-hmm. next to Pascal or Scotty, if he's going to have the same verve for cutting that he was showing, which great that you highlighted that because that wasn't something that we saw that much last year, but he was, you know, there were four or five effective cuts that were noticeable to the viewer. Mm -hmm. And that that means you're making effective cuts and that it's being delivered on when the viewer notices cuts, because typically that's just something an end of the bench assistant coach is marking down and saying, you know, this is how active you were, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, great highlights. Um, Svi, I just want to say, I think he's a real pleasure to watch. I talked about his grapple cuts in that, you know, he fights through screens on offense And then like it's two hands on the guy's jersey and he's throwing himself into open space. He's very physical. This is something Zarar and I talked about. And with that physicality, he's got himself into open space offensively all the time. He also had like a bunch of really nice counters out of the pick and roll as a playmaker. And there was a little bit of shot making off his own dribble. And then, of course, the big promise with Svi you know, in the league as he's kind of been juggled around and put in, I would say, less than ideal context is that the guy can shoot it. And he looks like a guy primed to shoot much better this year than he has any other year. Now, maybe that's hopeless optimism, but I do agree. Uh, Gary Trent will have a bigger role. And I think Gary Trent is going to do what we expect of him. And then I'm just going to be happy if more comes. Honestly, I said my piece on him, uh, you know, we all know the limitations. A lot of people have been talking about it, but he'll give you he'll give you what we know. And then if he adds more, hell yeah, Gary Trent. Is there any other guys who you find particularly intriguing at the end of the bench?
1: Um hmm. end of the bench that we haven't talked about. Uh not particularly I think I mean I like Wayne Wright. you know Mm -hmm. I I like I like what he brings I think he's actually like I mean I think he's pretty likely to make the roster honestly partly partly if if only because his contract is not guaranteed on opening night um so I kind of think he's going to get one of those two spots uh because he just provides flexibility for the Raptors going into the season um but I also like his game and I just like that he can come in be a guy that hits a three for you if you need him. Be a guy who provides a lot of energy. Um be a guy with also immaculate vibes. He seems like a fantastic mm-hmm. locker room presence. Um he's been around. He's played overseas. Um he seems elated that this is like, you know, his his dream to play in the NBA and he's finally here. Uh so yeah, I'm just kind of happy for Wayne Wright, and I just feel like he has a pretty good shot at making the roster, and so I, I think he would be uh, a good addition to the team. Uh, I don't think he would obviously play much, but um, I think he can give you spot minutes here or there. He he's
0: definitely the guy, and you know, speaking of the vibes and being immaculate, he got the <laughs> you know he got the Blake Murphy summer league feature, and Blake <laughs> yeah. he really knows how to pick guys. Uh, and he said ish was awesome and you know just in in podcasts on the radio in his writing he glowing uh recommendation of ish as that also comes from the raptors organization as well but four years at baylor two years in germany one year in france and virtually no potency from downtown but the guy has worked really hard to become a guy who can hit spot up triples And then the huge benefit of his game is that he defends the hell out of any position you put him in. Now you can defend the hell out of a point guard and still get scored on. I'm not saying, you know, roll ish out there to guard. He like Darren Fox or anything, please. I don't want to see that. (laughs) Neither does his family, but you know, he's a very versatile defender and versatile defenders who hit threes have, you know, for a long time, occupied the end of the Raptors roster that is that is like a carved out spot it's almost highlighted you know like it has a little asterisk that says for defenders who are stationary shooters like Malcolm (laughs) Miller yeah he was there for a long time you know Alfonso McKinney you know and like Stanley Johnson they put another asterisk that said (laughs) hopeful shooters like something like that right and so yeah I think Ish is really fun uh Malachi Flynn I'm very curious what you think about Malachi Flynn because I I think he is currently a polarizing figure with the Raptors. I think I have a good beat on his game, but I've seen wi- wildly oscillating takes
1: from the, the Raptors fandom and writers at large. Mm. Yeah, I really like Malachi. I mean, I liked him when the Raptors drafted him and I liked when he came in. and uh, I liked the profile uh, that he presented as a pick-and-roll playmaker. Um, obviously, Kyle Lowry is gone now. Still weird to say. And Fred's taking over a bigger role. And so Malachi also uh, will be taking over a bigger role. And ideally, it would be running bench units. And I do think like everything is so weird. His rookie season is such a weird rookie season, right? He plays as part of the Tampa Raptors. Crazy stuff is going down all the time. Nobody's happy. COVID's a thing. He's getting inconsistent minutes Um, his role at that time is not really clearly defined he's being put into lineups where he is a guard uh playing in those two guard lineups he's playing next to kyle lowry he's not really able to do his bread and butter that was his thing in college so he's trying to figure his stuff out there on the fly uh to win more minutes and to win nurses heart um really tough right And so now he comes into this season and we saw him in summer league. He looked really, really good. He's clearly been working on his game. Um, I like his pull-up jumpers. They seem to be improved from last season. And that's very, very good because he does not get to the rim very often. So that is a necessary thing for him. Um, And yeah, I, I think that he can fill that role this season. I think maybe it'll take a bit of time. I thought in preseason again, sort of getting... I mean, he did get inconsistent time. I mean, that's not an unusual thing for preseason as coaches look at different guys. But still, again, you know, that's what he's had pretty much his NBA career so far: inconsistency. Um, But I do think, you know, the end of the last game, I think, was kind of a nice, uh, a nice sort of microcosm, I guess, especially in just the fourth quarter. Of he felt like he was finally in a role that made sense for him. He was leading a bench unit and. Doing a lot of the scoring, doing a lot of the playmaking, defending the hell out of the ball. Excuse me, on uh, on the other end uh, because he's a very good defender, both off of it and on it. Uh, Yeah, so overall, I really like Flynn. I think he's young. I think he's had a lot of inconsistency. I think he needs more time. And I think this season will be a really good season to see where he's at uh, in terms of his offseason improvement and just finally in a clearly defined role playing in Toronto full season and uh, give him the keys to the bench unit and and let's see what he can do there.
0: Yeah. He's a really interesting player because there isn't a de facto pick and roll partner for him. And this is a guy who he's a pick and roll player. That was his whole thing. That's his bag coming out of San Diego state. That's his bag. He was the number one pick and roll player in the country. And it's really interesting, especially you talk about not getting consistent looks consistent role or consistent minutes i like people talked about the red van fleet van fleet uh that nickname because you know malachi flynn was you know defensive player of his conference and i think was pretty close to having a plus defensive output in his first year defensively Mm -hmm. but offensively i think there is basically zero similarities to their game i actually i would say that malachi flynn is closer especially if you uh divorce the uh if you divorce the pick and roll stuff away from his game he's closer to jamal crawford than he is to Ooh. fred van vliet oh, that's not and the name so, I thought you're gonna say <laughs> and so the thing is like imagine if jamal crawford didn't know where he stood imagine jamal crawford without an effervescent confidence that fueled everything he did Malachi Flynn is a hooper and a shot creator. If he doesn't have the pick and roll game, right? You look at the mm-hmm. you look at his shot diet throughout the preseason. You're just looking at a guy who basically is walking out on the floor, and they're saying wiggle into space, hit a jumper and a tough one. And that's a high what a high tight wire, high wire, high wire act. <laughs> that is right. a high wire act, a difficult thing to do. And they're basically marching out there and say. Make the shots, buddy boy. Let's see it. And that's pretty tough to do. Even against like sub NBA competition to just go out and start knocking in triples and mid-range jumpers at a healthy enough percentage that you're not going to get people looking at you sideways. He's in a tough spot. Like I do not envy Malachi's position, the inconsistency that's come with it. I do think he has the talent to stick in the league and particularly since he, you know, will it it won't take much for him to be a positive offender. But there's also like Lewis, who really likes Malachi. You really like Malachi. Lewis, in particular, he wrote that huge feature last year on him where he talked about like this guy maybe will punch up at all star status someday. And, you know, there are people who looked at Malachi and thought this guy could be incredible. And he's just had so many roadblocks. And so many setbacks early on, particularly with the application of his game that you're just like, man, this guy is kind of going through hell. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see how he plays basketball when he's not in hell, when he's just occupying our plane of existence, provided that we're occupying each other's.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the biggest thing I think is like finding the, the pick and roll partner for him eventually, right? Like, again, this season, you're still not getting an ideal pick and roll partner. You're not getting, uh, no matter who you're playing with, you're not going to get anyone on the Raptors who's just like a dominant role man, right? Like he's, there is no Jonas Valanciunas on this team. Uh, no, no guys like that. So, you know, but the thing is, you know, if Flynn can carve out a role here uh, in Toronto doing this stuff, then he's, I think, done the most difficult, you know, one of the most difficult steps he needs to take uh, to advance his career because I think when you finally do get him in a position whether it's on Toronto or in the future if he's not on Toronto and he's somewhere else and has a different pick and roll partner um, who is a good role man, then I think having the hard stuff already done opens up a lot when he just gets to do the stuff he's naturally so good at and all of a sudden people will say where did this guy come from like you know like this this team let him go or whatever he got traded in and it turns out he's a diamond in the rough and i think it's just because personnel matters a lot and you know uh where you get drafted matters a lot and uh all that stuff so i honestly that i'm hoping mostly that he just perseveres and uh it looks like he's been able to do that so far and i hope he's able to do that throughout the course of the season because i think if he continues to do it don't know if he's ever going to be punching up at all-star status but uh, I think he could be a legitimate uh, backup point guard, a good rotation guy. The
0: NBA is tough, man. Even it's vets tough. fall through the cracks. Like a bunch of players do. Uh, DJ Augustine couldn't even cut it on the wraps as their 15th guy. And then he hit a three-pointer to beat <laughs> them in a playoff series as the lower seed. Like mm-hmm. the, the amount of talent in the NBA is obscene. And it's even if you are talented, even if you're the such a crisp pick and roll ball handler, man, you still got to make it work. And you know, if a team isn't that invested in making it work with you and they're just kind of saying, go make it work, pal. Let's see what you got. And the, the defenders on the other side are trying to stick in the league too. (laughs) God damn. That's pretty rough. Uh, (laughs) Are there any, are there any, Hmm. Predictions you'd like to put on wax.
1: Are, are you into that at all? Wow. Wow. Uh, I mean, normally, no, because I almost always get them wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, um, but also because uh, by nature, as I'm sure you know at this point, I am a very mild mannered individual when it comes to uh, this sort of thing. I mean, I, I don't typically have many hot takes because I find most hot takes are very divorced from reality. Uh, and I like to stay as grounded as humanly possible. Uh, but I will say that one of my takes for this season, which kind of branches into something else that we that you mentioned earlier, which it leads me to a question, is that I do not think Goran Dragic will be on the Toronto Raptors for the entire season. I do think he is going to get traded either before or at the trade deadline. And I do think still the most likely destination is Dallas. So I'm curious then, because I believe that the Raptors know this too. Obviously. Um, it looked like, you know, they wanted to deal him. He thought he was going to be moved or rerouted uh, initially in the, in the Kyle Lowry deal. And so, you know, when, when Dallas presumably did not give up the assets that Toronto Raptors wanted, they said, okay, that's fine. We'll hold on to him. He's still a very useful player. We are absolutely not going to buy this guy out. He's way too good to be a buyout player. He can come onto this roster. He's good enough potentially to start. He's a good vet presence. We have a lot of young guys. He has a role here. We can wait. That's fine. And I wonder, uh, and that's all good. And, uh, you know, by all accounts, a consummate professional, he's been very, very good since coming to Toronto. Um, he said all the right things after that one, whatever comment, that got everybody in a, in a flurry, <laughs> um, which is still kind of silly in my opinion. Um, but you know, he, he's he been very good. So I wonder if, you know, looking at sort of the broader uh, perspective here, the the macro, how much does it, like, you know, when you talk about having Drogic in the game as a starter or uh, to close games, because he's good, because he's probably the best option in, any, in whatever scenario, and that's why you'd have him out there. Is that more valuable when you, you know, are assuming, as I am, that uh, he will not be on the roster long term. Rather than just giving the young guys the reps, and even if you lose the game, you're just you're just going to go, go that route instead. And I understand that there's a balance that the Raptors want to maintain competitive, uh, competitive status even as they continue to grow. That's what all the best franchises do. Is what the Spurs always did, um, you know, maintain a competitive balance until you get back to the top. The Raptors want to do a similar thing. But if you know that Dragic is not going to be on the roster, very likely, for the entirety of the season, how much does it matter having him in those games to help close them out? Does that win matter so much to you that you would rather have him out there as opposed to a different player like Trent, who you're trying to give reps to continue to grow because you've invested in him long-term? And I'm just curious what you think on that. Uh Well, semi-long-term for Trent. Semi-long-term, sure, yeah. sure. That's an example.
0: Um, this is an example. Th- this, oh, Josh, this is a good question, by the way. Like the type of question that spurs on a podcast that's two hours and <laughs> it discusses the Raptors, not at all. It, the type of question that my first question back to you is what do you think about the type of narrative of people saying that, you know, people in Philly are now inherently losers and that's why they can't win? <laughs> There's no talent deficits. There's nothing like that. It's all, they didn't practice hard enough four years ago and they lost too many games four years ago. So they're bad now. Like all of that stuff starts to come up. And Mm -hmm. I would say, I think having Goran Dragic on the team is valuable. Having good Mm -hmm. players on the team is valuable. Mm -hmm. And is the swing big enough that uh, it affects like draft standing significantly Or is the swing big enough the other way that it affects development significantly? Mm. I don't, but I do think Dragic lets the team operate as a better team somewhat, which I think is good. But I also think the fact that like, that means you're resigned to a not so good Raptors team this year. I'm assuming if Dragic is out the door, because he, if the Raptors are in a playoff spot, he's very useful then.
1: Sure. And I think it also kind of goes down to like, what are your expectations for the team this season? Because mm-hmm. I, I don't entirely know. I, I haven't had really a good gauge on sort of what um, that is from the fan base. Like what, what do people want? Cause I think the best I've gotten. Is it's the,
0: everywhere, brother. It's it everywhere, is right? everywhere.
1: Yeah. Cause I've had a lot of people just be like, I'm just here for the vibes, man. This team is mm-hmm. all, it's all good. And I, I'm chilling. I'm relaxed. And I like watching Scotty smile all the time. There's other people that like, I have seen some people say like they think the Raptors could, could be you know punching upwards to like a six seed or whatever, and uh I I personally don't see that, but maybe maybe if everything broke right and some other stuff broke wrong for other teams, but uh, it'd be really tough. Um, and so it's been a weird season that way because I feel like the last you know X amount of seasons, it's been pretty clear sort of what the expectations are, and this is sort of the, even last season. You know when Tampa was a thing, it was sort of just like yeah, nobody really expected them to completely fall off, but also they were going to Tampa, they were playing this really weird season that people weren't even sure should be happening, like what was going on there, and so this season, where things are back to normal, um, the expectations just, yeah, normal, I quote air quotes for people who are only listening, um, things are still just seem to be a little bit in disarray and that's because there's a bunch of new faces and the Raptors are still trying to be competitive while being younger. And there's no more Kyle Lowry. There's no fail safe of Kyle Lowry. I think that's the thing too, right? Kyle Lowry is the guy that he's on your team. That's why I am not underrating Miami. I know there's a lot of people that are like, you know what? My hot take is Miami's not going to be that good. They're just not going to be that good. I will not. Until Kyle Lowry retires and he's on a basketball team, that man is going to get you 45 plus wins. I <laughs> guarantee um that's uh, a yeah.
0: yeah, normal season, you know, normal in the sense that uh the title favorites are not going to play a guy they're paying a max to, a guy who averaged 27 points and had a 50, 40, 90 uh slash line last year because he's not vaccinated. Normal in that sense. We're we're right. absolutely back to normal here. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you bring up though, yeah, I predicted 34 and 48. Lewis was 40 and 42, which that's a pretty big disparity between us, by the way, because we talk in different hmm, connotations and we've always ended up at the exact same place. So it sounds different. And then we look each other in the eye at the finish line and shake hands and say, I guess it's all the same, isn't it? But that (laughs) didn't actually happen with that one. And with Pascal coming back, I think two three weeks earlier than I expected. It makes me wonder, like, hmm, is there a couple more wins in there? And maybe there is, but you know, I made my prediction, thirty four and forty eight. That's and I'll give one hint to the. And actually, no, no hints, nothing for anybody. <laughs> the work will come out, and it'll it'll be there. But uh, there should be something approximating an all-star birth for a a player on the Raptors this year. I think that's, that's my most outlandish take, but I have seen, I have seen people mention also like fourth seed, by the way. Now, now this is, this is like the anecdotal, like you see it on the internet, like Raptors Republic comment section is a, the most pro Raptors place on earth and B at times the most negative Raptors place on earth. So you're going to get like, this team is trash. They hate hate that Fred VanVleet is not six foot four. Ooh, does that <laughs> does that piss them off? But on the other hand, you know, some people think they might be the fourth seed. There's a lot of possibilities here. But if I had to put a range on it, I would say the Raptors are between the twelfth seed and the ninth seed. Like okay. that that would be my range. And uh, of course, listener, this means nothing. If, unless you actually think I'm smart, and uh, you know, (laughs) then in that case, like, hell yeah, I'm glad you think so. I've convinced you, uh, like a snake oil salesman. But uh, yeah, like 12th to 9th, I think is kind of where I'm hanging out.
1: Can you imagine if the Raptors garnered the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference and were above the Miami Heat, the pandemonium that would be? You know what it
0: is, is that uh, the global South, and many other countries the world over have been using uh, the Raptors uh, win loss over under to uh, funnel money and for tax evasion. They've <laughs> been using it for for many years. Okay, and uh, this this is why Donald Trump wouldn't release his taxes oh, if, my God. if nobody was aware, but uh, because the 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 what was what would the Kyle Lowry is incorrigible in his pursuit of wins, as as you laid out earlier. And he was injured for a lot of last year, but every year prior, I think the Raptors had gone seven years in a row, hitting the over on their win-loss total. And so naturally, uh, the world economy caught on and started making money with that. And I wonder if there's an opportunity for that this year.
1: Man, I wonder. I mean, I think... uh... I think I think I'm a little more optimistic on the high side of the Raptors than you. I think uh, I would say I, I think you're about right in terms of the, if the things go wrong side of things uh, on the low end, um, the 12th 12th ish area. I think if things go right, if everything things breaks right, I could see them punching about as high as seventh, but that's as high as though. But I think that's a possibility when you look at uh, the East is better this season a little bit um but you know looking back at last season if you had uh 35 wins the raptors uh or 36 sorry the raptors over under i think was 35.5 from vegas so if you had 36 wins you would have been the 7th seed last season which sounds pretty wild to think about but yeah you know that's kind of that's that's where this is again the east has improved i don't think the east has improved an insane amount uh, like I think some people are overestimating how much the East has improved. We've had a lot. There's been a lot of conversations. Like has the East overtaken the West? And a lot of those conversations. And um, I think maybe in certain pockets of the conference, but not not overall. Um, and so the Raptors, I think, though, if everything breaks right, Zayko comes back a bit early. He looks like an all-star very quickly. Everything meshes. Scotty, you know, is is integrated quickly and and finds the right the right role for him. Uh, Trent Jr. becomes a finisher, like we talked about. Uh, Malachi finds his role, gets very comfortable and is taking and, you know is able to, is able to handle those bench units. Um, Fred van Vliet handles the higher load, uh, the usage with the new usage percentage, and he does it very well. All of these things come together, and I think they're a seven seat team in the Eastern Conference. You espousing the high end theory, and
0: I espousing the landmark. Incredible uh, studio album by a tribe called Quest, the Low End Theory. Okay, uh, is there anything? Well, hell, let's let's end it here. But okay. as always, Josh, the floor is yours, brother, to plug away. If you want to sell some sort of, uh, you know, I used the term snake oil earlier. If there's anything like that you'd like to sell, if there's a, you know, go ahead. Or uh, just your work, which is the opposite of snake oil. It is earnest uh, earned and truthful.
1: Wow. I'm, I'm going to use that as a quote for my work (laughs) going forward. It is the opposite of snake oil. That is every article I write. That makes me feel very, very good. I like that. Um, yeah, I'm not artistic enough to sell snake oil. So I just write things. Um, Yeah, you can find my work this season at at Clutch Points. I have not yet written anything there, but it is coming very, very soon. I'm getting started there. So if you want to go over there and look at the amazing artwork in the meantime, go over there and follow some Raptors Nation stuff. Uh, I will be providing content this season. And I believe I'll also be starting a podcast over there for them at some point. So uh, if you happen, listener, to have any interesting podcast names in mind, do suggest them. I will take them under consideration and submit them to the powers that be there. But yeah, so there's going to be a lot of stuff coming from me there. And uh, as always, otherwise you can find me little old me on Twitter at howvolution that will be tweeting about the Raptors occasionally and then other, other life things that tend to happen to me. So yeah, that's about it.
0: An excellent sign off. I think, Uh, (laughs) yeah, listener, here's the thing. If you're saying, sam co-signs everybody he brings on uh is it is it genuine yes okay i have full uh freedom and creative control in this podcast so guess what i bring on people i like and whose work i revere so if it's getting old too bad i revere josh's work there's a reason i cited a piece he wrote two years ago because it <laughs> lives fresh in my mind his words have the ability to do so so I would recommend following him on Twitter, and then that's the easiest way to uh to get all the stuff that he eventually will be writing and producing and creating over at clutch points and whatever else he gets him in himself into with the rest of the year but Josh, thank you so much
1: for coming on brother oh, thank you so much ha- uh, for having me it's been uh been a while since I've done a podcast, so hopefully I did not come on and say anything too crazy that's gonna blow up you know i that's always been my issue with is saying too things are too wild so i appreciate you coming on and uh dousing the flames that are my words right uh i
0: my greatest dream is that uh something goes semi-viral and gets picked up and quote tweeted on because it was the one time we did not apply the preseason caveat i think that would be uh beautifully uh ironic but anyway josh thank you listener thank you for tuning in but whether you got into this in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye.